0: an extremely immoral place. Uh, it would have been kind of like, uh, maybe think of the, the, the bad part of Las Vegas in our culture today. Uh, Crete was an island that historians say people there primarily lived their lives as drunks. Uh, it was not uncommon for people to pretty much be drunk every day. Uh, the politicians and leaders of that time were very crooked Very corrupt. The government was very much one sided toward the powerful people uh, there. In fact, Paul says this. I'll just uh, tell you what Paul says. We see it there in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Titus. It says, One of Crete's own prophets has said this about it Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And Paul says, This saying is true. (laughs) All right? One of their own has said this about them, and this is true. It is by far, you know, not made up, and you may be like, in reading that and looking at that, you may be like, you know, that kind of sounds like the place that I work, (laughs) you know? Uh, Maybe it kind of sounds like the place where you go to school every day, or, you know, maybe uh, it even sounds like when your family gets together for holidays, Uh, which is exactly why... This makes Titus relevant to you and I today, right? It's very much relevant to you and I in our culture today because here's the deal. When you're in an environment like that, uh, how do you live out your faith in a difficult and an immoral place like Crete? How How do you respond when maybe the place that you work or the place that you go to school or even maybe your family... How do, you, how do you live out your faith in situations like that where your faith might be criticized, right? You, you might be viewed or, or looked at as that, you know, crazy Bible thumper, you know, or, or even viewed as, as, as your religion or your faith is not relevant in the world that we live in anymore. And people view you as, as that kind of person, you know, you're just a little bit crazy because you call yourself a, a Christian. You know, how do, we, how, do we, how do we live out our faith in that? Because we often think that, you know, in order for God to use us in some awesome way or for God to use us in His glory, that we need to go somewhere where people will be receptive to that. Or we need to, you know, there's, there's a better opportunity, you know, out there somewhere when all reality is God has you in Crete so that you would be a witness for Him. God has you exactly where he wants you to be. And he's needing someone to bring glory and bring attention to who he is. And oh, by the way, he is the savior of the world. All right? And, and so he may need you right where you are to do a mighty work. And you're thinking it's, some, you know, it's out there somewhere. And so we see here that Paul writes to Titus. Titus has been you know, called to plant this church there in this this place called Crete so Paul's trying to answer some of his questions Paul's trying to give him some guidance Paul's trying to encourage him uh, you know with these words Uh, Tim Chester who's a Bible scholar he's written many books over 30 books uh, that he's written he he wrote a book about this letter uh, from Paul to Titus and I just want to share with you something that he wrote Uh, he says one modern day church planner wrote this Living the good life of the gospel is a challenge when we live in a culture that defines the good life in other ways, right? It is particularly hard in a culture where newspapers cannot be trusted anymore, where politicians cannot be trusted and many are corrupt. A harsh, selfish, racist culture in which there is a fear of crime. A culture where people are reluctant to manual work, which is therefore left to migrant workers. A culture in which people routinely overreact. That was the culture of Crete. Do you hear any similarities in that description? So it makes Titus... And this letter from Paul, very, very relevant to us today, right? You can see how relevant the city of Crete is to the world that you and I are currently trying to live our faith out in uh, as well. And Paul has one point of emphasis for Titus in this letter, and it's this theme. uh, It's the truth that leads to godliness. Matter of fact, we see Paul introduce the theme of this letter to Titus right here in chapter 1, verse 1. In the introduction, Paul, when he begins his letters, often, you know, begins by saying, This is Paul, uh, you know, so they know who the letter's coming from. And so right here in verse 1, he writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to what? The truth that leads to godliness. And that phrase and that truth and that theme uh, that, you know, uh, is going to come up over and over again throughout this letter as we take a look at it. God's purpose in the gospel is this, folks. Don't miss this. God's purpose through the gospel, God's will for your life, right, is that you will be God loving and that you will be God-like, right? He wants you to be God-loving, and He wants you to be God-like. And that simply means godliness. That's what godliness is. Godliness is to love God and to be like God. And and don't miss this. Christians talk a lot about, you know, because we know what God has saved us from. If we've accepted Him as our, our Lord and Savior... You know, we look back at our past, and, and so we like to talk about what God has saved us from, but we often fail to consider what He has saved us to, right? We want to focus on what He saved us from. But I believe Paul would have us focus on what He has saved us to. He has saved us to love Him, right? He has saved us to be like Him. He has saved us to worship Him. Right? The point is not really that he saved us from something, but that he has saved us to something that is so much better, right? And and so, one of the ways that we can know, you know, what Paul basically is trying to do, he's trying to give Titus this understanding of, uh, of what the gospel is, what this good news is, what the grace of God is compared to what he's walking into every single day, and that's a false religion, right? People who were teaching false things, you know, and and so we're going to see that. Uh, And so one of the ways that we can know what true religion, a true relationship with God is, compared to false religion, Paul says, is this. The grace of God, the gospel message, will create godliness in you. It will. False religion and all this other nonsense out there in the world will not. What will produce godliness in you is the grace of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there were a lot of false teachers around Crete, all right, that were drunk, But there were a lot lot of false teachers in Crete. And and sadly, in our world today, there's a lot of false teachers in our world today. And unfortunately, some of them are standing on a platform today. But we we see it in in our culture today. People who are leading other people astray. They're pointing them in the directions to have a good life. And it has nothing to do with the grace of God and the message of Christ that we find in Scripture. And so, so Paul says this. He says, you can know what the truth is, right? Because it is the truth that's going to lead you to where God would have you, and that's godliness. The truth will lead you to godliness. And because here's the deal, false religion. If you think about religion, and you think about very religious people, and we see it all the way back from Jesus' time even up to today, very religious people will they they will teach you that you need to be really really busy, right? False teaching, false religion just makes you busy. It fills up your schedule, right? I mean there's there's all these things you got to you got to learn this, you got to, you know, do this, don't do this, use these words, don't use those words. You know, and, and so what we want to do today is to learn why The gospel, the grace of God does this work in us that none of those checklists can do that religious people will hand you. It's only the grace of God, the truth of this, that will create godliness in our hearts and in our lives in a way that nothing else can. So let's get started this morning and let's see how the grace of God and this good news of the gospel creates godliness. And Paul starts to unpack all this for us actually over in chapter 2. We're going we're to look at, at uh, chapter 2, and then we're going to come back to chapter 1 in, in just a few minutes. But Paul kind of unpacks this for us. Chapter 2 starting at verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, flip over there. Chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Amen? Huh? The grace of God has appeared that offers this awesome gift of salvation to just a, the elect few who check all the boxes on their checklist. Is that what it says? That's good news for some of us because we do a very crummy job at those check boxes. Huh? Right? And so Paul says the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all. Right? It teaches us what is the it, right? This is the most important question in interpreting the whole book of Titus. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You want that help, huh? Anybody need that kind of help in their life? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live what? Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait For that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us, hello, for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do evil. No. He's going to produce in us, right, this eager to do what? Wow. So, what produces these things? What is the it? Well, if I asked you this morning to to explain to me how you can be more self controlled, if I asked you this morning to explain to me how you could be more upright and how you could be more godly, what would your answer be? Greater willpower? You'll try harder? You know, maybe more knowledge? Maybe a little extended quiet time, accountability partners? Well, Paul's answer is this. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that does that. Some of you this morning ought to just feel like a huge burden is being lifted off of you right because it's the grace of God that does this it's only the grace of God that teaches us and helps us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to be able to live a self-controlled life all right and so because God's grace here's the deal it will focus our attention this the gospel the good news the grace of God is going to focus our attention On the right things when it comes to living our life. And it's going to focus our attention in three places. In the first place is this. Upward. Verse 13 points us upward to the appearing of the glory of our great God. God's grace, the gospel, the good news. Folks, listen. It redirects what you worship. It will. It redirects what you worship because here's here's the deal. Sin problems, don't miss this. Sin problems often start out as worship problems. Sin problems often start as, as worship problems. The original sin problem that Paul speaks to in, in the book of Romans chapter 1 is that he, he, he speaks to the fact that we gave the glory that God deserves. We gave the glory of God To created things instead of the Creator. We're given the glory that God deserves to things He created instead of the Creator. And and scholars say that this word glory here uh, in the text in Hebrew means weight or importance. All right? We gave the weight or the importance that we were supposed to give. to God, to other things, to something else, to someone else. Now, think about it. So many people today think they can't be happy without blank. Right? I, I would just be happy if blank. And, and they think that you know they can't be happy without money. They can't be happy without a relationship. You know, they can't be happy without our, you know, creature comforts. And and all these things are not bad things, right? I mean, Paul's not speaking to these things being bad things. I'm not saying these are bad things because these are all, all good things. But they can't carry a greater weight. They can't be more important than what should have been reserved for God in the first place, right? We're naturally created. He created within us this desire to be worshipers. All right? this, it, it's our human nature, nature to want to lift or exalt. It's created in us. But many are worshiping creation instead of the Creator. And so to change sin at the heart level, and folks, that's where God wants to change it, is in your heart. That's where it starts. So to change the sin problem at the heart level, He has to change what we worship and what we exalt and what we lift up and what we're giving glory to in our lives and in our family and worshiping Him, looking upward will produce this godliness in us that he speaks to here. The second place that God's grace will focus our attention is backward. Paul speaks to it backward to the one in in verse 14, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Right In Paul's letter to the Romans that I mentioned earlier, There in chapter 1, when he's speaking to what sin is, he says this. They neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. And we don't often think about not being thankful as sin. But Paul would tell us that it's very much at the root of sin in our lives. Being ungrateful. Think about it. When we're not thankful... When we're not grateful, what are we doing? I mean, what what are we doing? Well, you're robbing someone of the glory that they deserve. When you're not being thankful, when you're not being grateful, you're robbing them from the glory that is rightly theirs. And and often the mindset is is this. Well, you know what, I could have gotten fine along without them anyway. You know? Probably could have done that on my own. And it creates this self-centeredness this self-dependence you know in us and when we are thankless towards god not only are we robbing him of the glory that he so rightfully deserves but we begin to think that we are somehow self-sufficient in our own lives we forget that every single breath that we take comes from god right you don't create that You don't manufacture that. You don't even control if you get the next one. Every single breath that you take comes from God. Every single blessing that you have in your life comes from His hand. And we often think we created our own, you know, selves. We created all this. We built this, and we're proud of what we built We did nothing without Him. For it was all His. It all came from His hand. We forget that. I read an illustration earlier this week that I love so much. It described us being like the moon. Uh, The light shining out of our lives is nothing more than a reflection of the light of the sun. Right? Our lives are nothing more than the reflection of the sun. You see that? And if you remove the sun, you go dark. There's no light without the sun. If you remove the sun, you're nothing. Right? There's darkness. And this lack of gratefulness, this lack of Being thankful, that self-sufficiency leads to independence, which leads to more sin and more trouble in your lives. So how does grace transform us? Well, through the gospel, it points to our inability to save ourselves. Right? It points to our inability to save ourselves from our sin. We are hopeless Jesus had to do it all and all we had to do was receive this free gift right because Jesus had to do it all so looking upward produces godliness in us looking backward at what happened on the cross of Calvary will produce godliness in us and then the third thing uh, this morning that it points us to is it points us forward Points us upward, points us backward, points us forward. Paul says, looking forward, we wait for him to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Listen, the grace of God raises expectations, doesn't lower the expectations. The grace of God raises expectations because we see. We see as you read throughout the, 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 the Gospels and, and you read throughout God's Word and you understand the good news of what it is that Jesus taught, we see what God wants to make us into. And that's exciting. I mean, we look forward. This is what God wants to you know, make us into and the future that He has for us. You know, He puts in us a taste. He puts in us a hunger for the future. Friends, our hope is not in the here and now. Our hope is in the future. That's why I say our our hope is not in the government. Our our hope is not in the next election, right? Our, Our hope is not in what's going on now, but what's going to happen in the future. And oh, by the way, what's going to happen in the future is he's going to be shaping you into who he wants you to be, right? And then when he's done with that, heaven, beat that, huh? So we look forward. Paul's telling Titus, he's telling us to, you know, that these things, looking upward, looking backward, and looking forward, you know, they help us with the sin problem. They deliver us from sin at the heart level and produce this godliness in us, you know, eager to do what is good. Not eager to do what is evil, but eager to do what is good. This godliness creates that. In us, And then in contrast to this, Paul lays out in chapter 1 basically what Titus is walking into there in Crete. Basically what a lot of you are going to walk into when you walk out of here today. You know, and so he contrasts this. Paul says that false religion and what a lot of people are living their lives by today, the things that the world says is the right way to live, well, they can't do these things that godliness can do. They can't do these things that the grace of God can do in their lives. And in verse 10 through 16 of of chapter 1, he goes after some of this false teaching. He calls it what it is. He points it out, you know, uh, that the things that's taking place there in Crete. And, you know, yes, the the Jewish heresy that he's talking about here uh, is, of course, more directed to the context of what's going on there on that island. Uh, People aren't teaching these exact things in Greenbrier today. But Paul points out here what characterizes all false religion and all false teaching. So it's important to us as well. Look back to chapter 1, starting at verse 10. He says, For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And then he says this in verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject this truth that he's talking about here. So he's telling us here why you know, false religion can't produce godliness. You know, in verse 10, he calls it, you know, mere words. In verse 13, he speaks to it as being rituals and commands. Verse 11, it's just using God for, you know, the sake of dishonest gain. You know, God is just somehow the means to the end. He's the wild card that we're going to keep in our back pocket just in case we need to use him, Right. He's the, he's the way to you know, nicer houses, bit, you know, bigger cars, or, or a better life now. So if grace, think about it. If grace produces, we established earlier, grace is what produces godliness. Paul says that religion produces just the opposite of godliness. All right, think about it. Grace produces gratefulness. Religion produces pride. Religious people will undoubtedly say, look at me. All right? Religious people will say, look at what we accomplished. Look at what we did. Look how awesome we are. Look how good I am. And I'll just tell you this morning, if someone asks you why you're going to heaven and you answer that question with anything about yourself, that's pride. Because you had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was a free gift that was handed to you that you received. Instead of producing godliness, pride just leads to more sin and more problems for your future as you look forward. Grace produces full surrender. Religion will produce partial commitment. Grace produces a full and total surrender. Religion produces partial commitment. If salvation can be negotiated, right if salvation is a negotiation, then your mindset is this, that you can do some things and then God's going to have to let you in as a result that you've done those things. Right? You give some things and He might bless you with a little more. But don't miss this. He saved you when you literally had nothing to offer Him. When He saved you, you had nothing to offer Him. Oh, well, yes, I did. Oh, no, you didn't because all things belong to Him. Huh? Everything that you had, everything that you brought to the table came from Him to begin with. You had nothing to offer. You know? We have nothing to negotiate with. And so we surrender, we understand that we surrender it all to Him. Grace also produces this worship that we talked about earlier. It produces worship to God and using these things that He's entrusted to us for His glory, and for His honor, for His work. Religion produces worship to things and uses God. And so many people today, folks, you can look around you, a lot of folks, real religious but yet they want to negotiate sin huh they want to negotiate sin they look at sin simply as this avoiding sin means i don't get punished and that's how they view sin how close can i get to it and it still be okay Draw me that line, Steve, because I want to know where the line is. I want to know exactly where that line is that I'm not supposed to cross, and then I'm going to know just how far I can go and how close I can get. Folks, that's negotiating sin. (laughs) When we think like that, when we live our lives like that, you are doing nothing but trying to negotiate your sin with God. The people who accept grace and love God... Instead of religion, can I just tell you about those folks right there? They hate sin. They hate sin, and they're going to avoid it at all costs. They're not concerned about how close they can get to it. They're more concerned about how far they can get away from it. Right? I think of it like a copperhead. I think there's a reason that God gives us the example of a snake in Genesis. They are all bad. And you people that hold them and... Kiss them, and you're freaking weird. That's crazy. <laughs> Man. Kill them. Because every time I see a snake, I think sin. And I don't think, how close can I get to this? Right? I'm thinking, how can I get away from it and then blow its head off? <laughs> this sin. That's how I, oh, I hate them. I ate them. My, my wife's killed many of them. I'll be like, there, there it is. Go get it, you know. <laughs> she, she'll tell you that's the truth. I walked out on the porch one day. My shoes were sitting out there on the back porch, and there was a snake. I mean, it was a, a mean-looking snake. I just walked back in the house. I said, Lynette, there's a snake out there by my shoes. You're going to have to go kill it. I got to go. She went out there and... She went out there and killed it and something. I don't know what she killed it with, but by the time she got finished with it, I walked out there and looked, and it was just like that long. And it was like a blade. Of, it was green. It was just a little bitty old one. Well, when I walked out there, it looked like a python. <laughs> she, she said it was a grass snake, but I don't, I don't know. It was snaky, bad. But honestly, we don't, we don't think about how close we can get to it, right? The grace of God will be flee from that. Get, get away from that. People who love God, that's how they feel about sin. i got to distance myself from it, not how close can I get to it. Because Paul goes on to say this about those very people in verse 16. These religious people, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Even though their lives are filled with religion, Their lives are filled with busy schedules and lots of religious activity. Their hearts are, well, Paul says they are detestable, disobedient. They're unfit for doing anything good. That's a pretty harsh warning, right? It's a harsh warning to us today because a lot of people in our world today are filled with religion but not godliness. Religion says, here's your list of rules. All right, religion says don't live with your boyfriend. Religion says you should read your Bible every day. Religion says you shouldn't get drunk. Religion says you should witness to your friends. Religion says that you shouldn't lose your temper. But think about it. None of this is good news to someone who struggles with that in their life. To them, our list of things that they should and should not do feels like a heavy condemnation upon them. That's what religion does. But what grace says, don't miss this. What grace says, what the gospel says, it's not about what you should not do and what you should do but it's simply this instead it's what you need not do right because you need not to get drunk because jesus offers you a better refuge than alcohol will right you need not lose your temper because God's in control of every situation anyway, you know you need not give yourself to worrying about money. Because God is a better treasure than money will ever be. And I'll just make it personal this morning, Steve. You need not make yourself a slave to the opinions of other people, because your heavenly Father. Loves you, and that's the only opinion that really matters. Don't miss this. The gospel, it's not good advice, it's good news. Huh? It's not great advice, it's great news. Grace is great news for you and for me. And the grace of God produces godliness in you and in me, in our hearts. And religion is just going to frustrate you. Religion is just going to make you a list of things that you need to do. And I'll just be honest with you this morning and say this. Paul tells the Cretan believers here, and I'll say it to you, churches and pulpits that do not preach the good news and the grace of God should be avoided at all costs. You know, no matter how many good people go there, you need to get out and avoid them. And that may sound harsh to you, but this is what Paul tells Titus. He says, have nothing to do with counterfeit gospel. Have nothing to do with these types of people. And the on, only the gospel, only the grace of, of Jesus Christ will give life to you and your family. It's the only place that it can be found. And so get yourself into the presence and into the grace of God. And, and I'll close with this question today because this whole thing, this, this whole section of scripture that we've been looking at today brings us to a question do you see the evidence of godliness in your life do you see evidence that god is changing you because you should because that's what he does we talk about it a lot i mean i i, I mention it so often but what God's will is for your life, what God's plan is for your life is simply this. That He's going to continue to shape you and mold you and make you into who He wants you to be. That's change, folks. That's continual change. Right? He's shaping you and molding you and making you into who He wants you to be. And who does He want you to be like? Him. That's what godliness means. He's shaping you to look like Him. We talked about it at the beginning. God's purpose is to create God-loving and God-like people. That's what godliness is. That's why He tells us in His Word, you know, the two most important commands... All throughout scripture are these. Love God and love your neighbor. And God is wanting to create you, shape you, make you, and mold you into that kind of person. A God-loving person and a God-like person. And Paul says, this is godliness. And I'm not saying that you're going to be, you know, you may be perfect. Because I'm your pastor. And I'm far from it. Uh, I realize more and more every single day I'm aware of my my sin and my, my shortcomings and where I need God's help. But here's the deal. This growth that Paul is talking about today, this transformation that Paul is speaking to today that comes from grace is simply a greater desire to know God and understand Him and understand this gift of love and salvation that He's offered us you know and and if that's not happening in your life if he's not changing you if you don't you don't see you know god any evidence in your life of god changing you you know if that's not happening then then one of two things is true number 1 you've never really understood the gospel of grace you've never really understood what grace is or it has never really found a place in your heart It's never really settled into your heart where this transformation needs to happen and to take place. Because if you understand it, if you understand what grace is, and you've allowed that to settle in your heart, you will see the evidence of God changing you daily. Molding you, shaping you, making you into His image. Christianity isn't about Turning over a new leaf It's the power of a new life Right? It's the power of a changed life This transformation that takes place from the inside out And it all comes from the grace of God Not a list of rules That you think you may have to somehow do To accomplish or to achieve this in your life It's about allowing the grace of God to do its work in your lives. It's not a resolve to do better. It's this resurrection of life in Christ. And folks, that happens by looking upward, giving glory and worship to the one who truly deserves it, looking backward at what He did for you on the cross of Calvary to pay a sin debt that you could never pay on your own. Understanding that kind of love of God and then looking forward to who He wants you to be. None of us really like looking in the mirror and seeing who we are, but we can look in the mirror and go, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm not going to be who I was today because every single day He's doing a work in me that makes me look more like my Father. That's looking forward to what God has in store for you, your family, His church. So this morning, Paul's given us a pretty strong warning here, but I think it's, I, I think it's also a great relief to a lot of people. We're trying to work, we're trying to negotiate, we're trying to juggle all these things and check all these boxes. God's saying no. Just accept this grace. Let me do the work in you and through you. I sent you a helper. It's not nearly as hard as you think it's, as it is. And so there's great encouragement. There's warning and encouragement in what we've looked at this morning. And as we close today, we want to we pray together. and I want to invite you to come if you'd like to come and pray today. Maybe for someone, maybe for a situation that you're facing right now. Maybe you'd just like to come this morning and give your checklist to God. Say, God, do that work of grace in my heart. Do a refreshing in my spirit today. And maybe you'd just like to come and pray that prayer. Or pray that prayer on behalf of someone else this morning. And I invite you to come. And while you come, just a reminder, be praying for the family of uh, Jessica Brainerd. She lost her grandmother yesterday and I told her that her church family would be in prayer for her as they go through this time also we want to be praying for Fred Moreland who's continuing to have some health issues and undergoing further tests and then I want to continue to ask you to pray for our new church plant up in Fort Smith area the new cowboy church they're having their third service there this morning and God's doing some tremendous things but we want to continue to partner with them continue to pray with them that god would just pour out his spirit in mighty ways so people would see him and know him let's join our hearts together this morning as we pray i want to continue to pray for frank's daughter who's been in the hospital for the last few days and undergoing a lot of health issues and tests as well but if you'd like to come this morning and pray before we go let's join our hearts God, we come before you this morning grateful for the fact that you love us enough to uh, give us your word that is challenging, but also it's it's a great encouragement. I I, I just love this reminder that we find here in your word this morning about the grace of God and what it can do in and through our lives. And I, I just feel like today some people are walking out of here unburdened. Because maybe they understand grace a little better. God, I thank you today for all that you've done for us, for your love that you've shown us, this this mercy that we have been extended. We look back to the cross and it's mind-boggling, it's hard to understand. your son would go to the cross for our sins, that you you love us enough to pay that price that none of us can ever pay on our own. God, we thank you for that kind of love. And when we fully grasp and understand that love, that forgiveness, that salvation, then our worship will be about you. Our worship will be about what you have done and what you're continuing to do in our lives. God, sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we lose focus. We begin to make it about other things. We begin to make it about us. So, God, I thank you that through the work of your spirit, through the work of your word, that you remind us and you check us on where we're at and where we really need to be. And, God, while it sounds like a, a difficult place to be to be, allow someone to change us daily to shape us and mold us and do a work in us God it's such a beautiful thing that you do we get this view in scripture of a potter that's sculpting out something useful something beautiful and that's what you're doing in our lives and so today we want to be available we want to be on the potter's wheel we want to be faithful to what it is that you have for our lives and what you have for us to do because God, a lot of people in here today are walking into Crete tomorrow or maybe even when they go home today and they need some help and that help comes from the Lord that help comes from you and the work that you're doing in our own hearts so today we want to be available for you to do that we want to be faithful to who you've called us to be as the children of God and that we'll go out from this place and represent you and make disciples like you've called us to God I pray for these that we've mentioned this morning a lot of people on the on our prayer list right now a lot of people that are going through sickness and battling health issues in their lives and, and we pray for them we continue to lift them up you're their creator you know exactly what's going on and we know the power that you have to do a miracle to bring healing and your word tells us to pray for that healing to bring the sick to you and so that's what we do today is we lift them to the throne of god today and Pray that you would do what only you can do. God, I pray for the families today that are hurting because of loss of loved ones. Draw them close. Comfort them. Be with Jessica. Be with her family today and in the days ahead as they celebrate a life that was well lived. A life that represented the grace of God. A life filled with godliness. Pray it will be a great celebration. Many wonderful memories shared. And a reminder of the legacy that's been left for us to be godly people and allow you to work in and through our lives. Again, we're grateful and thankful for the other churches around us. You've blessed us with, to work with, to build the kingdom. I thank you that you've allowed us to be the part, a part of what you're doing up in the Fort Smith area even today. God, I pray that we continue to be available to be used. You've blessed us to be a blessing. And I pray that you would show us how we can help to build the kingdom, not just here in Greenbrier, but in Fort Smith, all over the North Arkansas district, all over the United States, all around this world, God. We want to be a part of what you're doing in building the kingdom of God. So show us, lead us, guide us. Help us to know how we can be most effective in sharing the news of this grace. Sharing the news of this gospel that we've talked about today. Because it is the power of the gospel that saves. God, as we go from this place, I pray that we'd be a full moon. A full reflection of the sun. A full reflection of your light to a world that desperately needs to see you. In the darkness that we live in today. So God, we want to be available. We want to be obedient. It's in your powerful son's name that we ask these things today. Amen. Well, God bless you all.